It is October. We are one week away from craziness in the kennel, and we have lineups, rotations, roles, schedules, and more to discuss on today's mailbag edition of the Locked On Zags podcast. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 back in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Folks, we are back. It is October. Officially means the start of the college basketball season, as well as a return to five episodes per week here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Very excited to get going daily for you once again. And we're starting the month off with a mailbag here. Lots of great questions coming in. A reminder for those of you who want to be involved in Mailbag Monday, you can reach out to me on Twitter at AndyPattonCBB. You can email me, AndyPatton013 at gmail.com. Or the best way right now is to join our Discord channel. There is a link in the show notes at the bottom of this episode. Also a link on YouTube as well. It's free. We're hanging out talking Zags 24-7, close to 100 members in there right now. So if you want to join there, that's an easy way to get those mailbag mailbag questions answered as well. We're going to get right into it today. This first question comes from Travis at TravisCallahan7 on Twitter who says, Who wins the craziness three-point competition and how would you divide up two equal teams for the craziness scrimmage. I don't think it's really easy to predict who's going to win the three-point contest. It's not usually just the team's best shooter. I think Matthew Lang has won it in the past, which no disrespect to Matthew Lang as a walk-on, but I, I do think that we don't tend to see the best peer shooters necessarily win it. Venters would be the obvious choice. But, you know, I'm going to go with Luka Krajnovic. Why not? Freshman coming in out of Croatia, good three-point shooter professionally over there. Let's see him come out and put on a show for the fans and get him a little buzz going in for him heading into the season. Uh, In terms of how I would divide it up, this is going to be with the assumption that everybody is going to play. Don't know for a fact if everybody is going to play, but if everybody plays, you have 14 players divided up into two seven-man rosters. First roster would be Graham E.K., Ben Gregg, Junsak Yo, Luka Krajnovic, Nolan Hickman, with your bench guys being Luka Stosic and the walk-on who goes by Q, Joaquin Areas Moore. And then the other team would be Anton Watson, Braden Huff, Steele Venters, Dusty Stromer, Andrew, or excuse me, Ryan Nemhart. Won't be the last time I do that, with the bench guys being a pair of walk-ons in Colby Brooks and Joe Few. Curious to see how it does get shaken up by Mark Few. It's always kind of fun to see how those two lineups shake out when they do those red versus white scrimmages as part of craziness in the kennel. Next question here, another one about craziness. This one comes from Heartland Zag on Discord, who says, what expectations do you have for the three possible number eight options during the craziness scrimmage? So I'm guessing by number eight options, we're talking about uh, Luka Krajnovic, Dusty Stromer, uh, Junsak Yo, I guess, maybe Braden Huff. I'm not sure if we're considering any of those guys to be ironclad number seven players, but For that group of players, the incoming freshman, yo, basically counts as a freshman. 
I, I don't take too much seriously out of craziness in the kennel. I don't really have expectations going in. It's a four fun events for the fans. Mark Few is very adamant that it is not really a a practice to take super seriously. He's not. It's more for it's more for the fans. It's more for fun than anything else. So I wouldn't take anything we see out of that event particularly seriously. Having said that, if the newcomers show a strong understanding of the offense. They understand their roles, where to move, when to set a screen, when to look for the ball, when to readjust as a post player, whatever it may be. I think that's a promising sign, particularly for Yo, who has spent more time in the system. Ideally, he will look very familiar and ready offensively. And then just hard effort on defense. Again, if the guys aren't playing super hard, I don't want them to go challenge somebody at the rim and risk an injury. Like that doesn't make sense. But just tenacity, effort, intensity, and some level of understanding knowledge of the offense. Again, if Pavel Stosic doesn't look super comfortable in the offense, I don't think that that's a bad thing because he joined the team like a week ago. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's not something to take overly seriously, but it'll be fun to see those guys on the court. Next question comes from Tip Top Magoo at Yanks Zags on Twitter, who says, what is EK's status? It seems like he wasn't practicing to start. Yeah, I've been a lot of conversation kind of behind the scenes that I've seen and heard about Graham EK, if he's injured, if he's hurt, what the situation is. We have heard nothing, so we have nothing to report. That's part of the reason I haven't talked about it on the podcast. That's part of the reason I haven't responded to any of those conversations, because we just don't know. Not seeing Graham EK in a 50-second video the Gonzaga basketball account posted on Instagram is not something that concerns me all that much, but it is something that we'll find out about on October 7th. If Graham EK comes out and plays, great. If he does not play, Mark Few will likely be asked about it. We will then get a status update. Whether that update is, hey, we're just giving him some extra rest because he's still coming off a foot injury, or hey, he re-aggravated something and he might miss some time. That is a possibility but I don't have any information and I'm not really going to speculate because we'll find out when we find out. And hopefully we get some answers on October 7th. And hopefully of course it is good news because the Zags are really going to need EK this year. Next question here comes from Grand Chef Otto on Discord, who says, we've seen a lot of late off-season additions, but the notable thing we still lack is a rim protector. And he says, unless that's something I don't know about Pavel, but I feel like that would have been mentioned. What's the best way the team can compensate for that kind of dearth? Yeah, even if Stosic is a rim protector, the odds of him coming in and immediately being a rim protector for this team, having joined the team in late September, are almost astronomically low. I don't think that Stosic is, I think there's a very reasonable chance, in fact, probably an expectation that he's going to redshirt this year. And either way, I don't think that, of course, EK status does have an impact here potentially, but I don't think that he's going to come in and be a rim protector. And yeah, I think that part of Gonzaga's issue on this roster is lack of rim protection. In the last five years, it has been an issue with the exception of the season that Chad Holmgren was on the roster. This is an issue for Gonzaga. They don't seem to get the kind of players that help fill that role. They tried, they looked for guys in the portal, and they just weren't able to land them. In terms of how they're going to compensate for it, play hard at the point of attack, hedge on screens to try to prevent guards from getting downhill. That's something they've always tried to do and have had uh, varying levels of success with that. Hedging the screens and preventing guards from being able to get to the basket is a really great way to not put pressure on your rim protection or your lack of rim protection in this case. Um, Front post players, 
have your help defenders ready to come over and, and potentially try to steal that ball away or at least challenge the post player when they catch the ball in the paint. Uh, those are kind of the same tricks that Mark Few and the staff have used in the past, and I think that they're going to have to continue to pull out all the stops because at the end of the day, they don't have somebody who can erase defensive mistakes the way that Chet Holmgren was able to do. And in, on this team, if they are poorly hedging screens or rotating a step slow on defense or anything that allows somebody to get a free reign at the basket – it's going to be, a, I think teams are going to finish pretty successfully around the hoop against Gonzaga. So they got to do everything they can to not let guys get there as easily as, as they have in the past. We're going to discuss more about Gonzaga's defense as well as Dusty Stromer's role and whether the team's going to add any non-conference games to the schedule. All of that coming up after a word from Athletic Brewing. Now, it's time for your Game Changer of the Week, brought to you by the Athletic Brewing Company. Much like Silas Bolden at Oregon State, Athletic Brewing has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. And speaking of good, folks, how about those beavers? Look, I am really in on Oregon State and Washington State this year. I think them dominating the Pac-12 would be an incredible story, a sad story, mind you, but I've not been somebody who's always had a strong college football team to root for, but give me the Beavs and the Cougs this year. Washington State was off last week. Meanwhile, Oregon State went out and beat Utah 21-7. to Silas Bolden had 100 receiving yards and a touchdown. He also rushed for 53 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Single-handedly outscored the Big 12-bound Utah Utes. Athletic Brewing Company has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. They are full of flavor and and well-crafted, just like a full-strength beer. You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy them online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers can use code LOCKEDON to get 15% off your first online order. That's code LOCKEDON at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times. Folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. And shout out to those everyday listeners. You know who you are. We appreciate you checking out the show on a daily basis and checking out the show on YouTube as well. College football season, folks, it's here. And Locked On is kicking up our coverage with Locked On College Football Kickoff Live, airing every Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern on every single Locked On College YouTube channel, including mine. Find Locked On College Football Kickoff Live every Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern time on any Locked On College YouTube channel. You're not going to want to miss it. Continuing our Mailbag Monday segment here to start off the month of October, this question comes from Dr. Schmedium on Discord, who says, Do you think Dusty Stromer will play in front of Steel Venters? Since Hickman and Nemhard don't have much length for perimeter defense, my guess is that Mark Few will want someone who can play better defense with length to compensate for the lack of length at the one and two guard spots. I understand the sentiment here, but I don't think that Mark Few is going to see it that way. And I, I think the reasoning is, is fairly simple. I don't think Mark Few is going to view Dusty Stromer as a day one better defender than Steel Venters. Most freshmen are not good defenders in year one. The Zags have been spoiled by Jalen Suggs. They have been, of course, spoiled by Chet Holmgren and to an extent spoiled by Zach Collins. But those are five-star guys. Dusty Stromer is a highly regarded prospect. I don't want to disparage him in any way or disparage his potential impact on defense. But the idea of him being a high-level defender in year one, I don't see it. I don't think Steel Ventures is going to be a great defender either. 
I, it's part of what I have issues with on this roster is I don't think they have enough perimeter defense. And they're relying way too heavily on Anton Watson. But to me, I just don't think Dusty Stromer is an immediately better defender than Steel Venters. He's not necessarily longer. They're both, I think, Dusty's 6'6", Venters is 6'7". Steel's got quite a bit of weight on Dusty. Dusty's pretty thin still, kind of still growing into his body a little bit. And, And Few just doesn't play freshman over veterans. He doesn't do it. He almost never has. Again, the, the five-star top 15 caliber prospects notwithstanding. Hunter Salas was a top 15 prospect and a high-level defensive player, and he didn't start for two years at Gonzaga. I just don't see Dusty getting playing time over Steel Venters because of defense. It just goes against everything that Mark Few has historically stood for. You could argue whether he should, and when we see more of Dusty, we can have that conversation, but I would be very surprised to see that happen this year. Next question comes from Strike Nowhere on Discord, who says, on paper, where do you see the Zags defense ranking in Ken Palm this year? Do you think the pick and roll defense will be better without Drew Timmy handling? So I don't really think the defense has improved in any way, to be honest. Again, it's a criticism I've had of this offseason of the uh, not specifically of the players they've brought in, but the overall class of of incoming transfers and freshmen and, and kind of replacing the players that left. It's, it doesn't strike me as being better defensively. You figure EK replaces Timmy. Is EK better at, as a pick and roll defender than Timmy? Maybe, probably. I don't think it's. I don't think it would be surprising to see that. But is he better than Timmy in a vacuum in totality? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, EK doesn't have a super long wingspan. He wasn't a great defender at Wyoming. Like I think that that's more or less a wash between those two guys. And then you look at the rest, you have Ryan Nempart and Steel Venters replacing Rasir Bolton and Julian Strother. I think you get worse defensively at both those spots. You have Dusty Stromer and Luka Krajnovic as your guards coming off the bench. They have to come in and replace Malachi Smith and Hunter Salas. I don't think they're better defenders. I think every spot in the rotation hasn't gotten better. I think Anton Watson is, is going to continue to improve and be a great defensive player. I think Ben Gregg is probably going to be a better defensive player than he's been historically. And I think Nolan Hickman might be a better defensive player than he's been historically. But the replacement players at each position, I don't think are dramatically better. Maybe you get big steps forwards from the returnees. Maybe Jun Sakyo is a really high-level defensive player in the role that he plays. Maybe Dusty Stromer does play a bigger role and does have a big defensive impact. But to me, the odds of Gonzaga going from 73rd to even top 50 in Ken Palm are kind of low. And it's a concern heading into the season. They got to outscore everybody that they play this year. I think there's a reasonable chance they're inside the top 60, 65. I think there's a chance they make some improvements and maybe some schematic changes that allow them to be a little bit better. But if we're making a prediction on where they're going to end up, They were 73rd last year. I'm going to put them within five of being 73rd again this upcoming year. And that's going to be something that that they're going to have to battle with throughout the year in order to to stay a championship-level squad. Next question here comes from Heartland Zag on Twitter. Excuse me, making sure I'm in the right spot on my notes here. Uh, He says, when this team is all said and done, who on this roster do you think will be the best player in terms of collegiate career and, and also in terms of professional career? This is a great question. I love this one. Uh, in terms of collegiate career, I'm going with Ryan Nemhard. Uh, Ryan Nemhard has already been the Big East Freshman of the Year. He is likely going to be a WCC first teamer this year. He has a reasonable chance of being WCC Player of the Year. He will compete with Aiden Mahaney at St. Mary's, as well as Anton Watson, Watson, Mitchell Saxon at St. Mary's, Tyler Robertson at UP, a handful of other guys. But Nemhard's probably a first teamer. 
It would be pretty surprising if he wasn't. It'd be stunning if he wasn't at least a second teamer. And he's got two more years. If he comes back for a second year, two-time WCC first-team player, as well as Big East Freshman of the Year, that's, that's a pretty darn good career. That's a pretty good career right there. Uh, hard to put that in terms of collegiate career specifically. Hard to see anybody competing with that. My wild card would be Dusty Stromer. Stromer strikes me as somebody who probably won't pop enough to be like a two and done or maybe a three and done. You never know. Uh, I think he's. Uh, there's a real chance, though, that he becomes a, a four-year or maybe three-year, maybe five-year, you never know, a guy who who is a big-time contributor, multiple WCC first or second team honors. Like I could see Stromer having a really decorated, really polished college basketball career. In terms of pro career, I think the best NBA prospect on Gonzaga's roster is Jun Sakyo. He's six foot eight. He's a tenacious rebounder. He's the reportedly can stretch the floor a little bit. He's a big bodied guy. Uh, I think this, the range of outcomes for Jun Sakyo is really, really wide. The ceiling is, is very high. The floor is very low. But to me, he strikes me as the most NBA type player on the roster. I don't see that for Nembhard and Hickman are a little bit too small. Venters is not dynamic enough. Watson's age is going to hurt him in the lack of outside shooting. I think he could become an NBA player, but a role player at best. EK, I don't think is big enough. Ben Gregg is a bit of a mystery right now, but maybe he could sneak into that NBA conversation. And then again, you have Stromer and Krajnovich and the, and the freshman who, who maybe could end up being NBA players. I do think Stromer has the ability to be that guy, but the best prospect on the team right now from an NBA perspective is Yo. Next question here comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, Gonzaga now has 13 non-conference games scheduled out of the max of 15. Does Gonzaga really need to schedule any more games? Sure, with the first scheduled game against Yale being a week after the season starts, it would be nice to see Gonzaga play in the first week. At what cost, though? It looks like all the Zags would get all the Zags would get is like a quad four game or a game against a non-division one team. Why mess with what is a great looking non-conference schedule just to get another game or two? Because college basketball players like playing college basketball. I mean, that's the simplest answer here. Mark Few likes coaching. They like playing. Fans like watching. It is about a lot more than the risk for a – I mean, it's not 2008. You know, it's it's not 2006. It's 2023, and for Gonzaga adding – you know, they just added Arc Pine Bluff, but adding a team like that, adding an SWAC team like, like Alcorn State, adding a, another Big West team or somebody like that, if they were to add a team to play on November 6th, on opening day. I want to watch Gonzaga on the first day of the basketball season. I'm a little annoyed right now that they don't have a game scheduled on November 6th and that the season's going to start and I'm going to watch some awesome games. I'm going to watch UConn play Gary Bell in Northern Arizona because that game's taking place on November 6th. And I got to wait four more days to watch the Zags play a regular season game. If the reasoning that they're giving is they don't want to add a game that might hurt them in the net rankings, that's insane. To be honest, that's insane. If they can't find an opponent or whatever, like there are reasons that could make sense. And I think there's a reasonable chance that Gonzaga is done adding to their non-conference schedule. I'm just saying that the, the argument that it's it could be costly for them to add another game is frankly ludicrous. It's college basketball. It's not, I mean, I think we're looking too far into the weeds of, of you know, the rankings and what it could cost Gonzaga and this fear about like how it might hurt them. And, and, and I think, A, Gonzaga has kind of ascended beyond that point. Uh, and, and, and also they're, you know, these guys, are on scholarship to play college basketball. Like they don't want to not play as many games as they can. I think waiting to start the season four days late because they don't want to add somebody because that team's not good enough is, is silly. And something that I really sincerely hope the staff is not thinking because I, I don't like that attitude at all. 
Final question here in the second segment comes from Hartland Zag on Discord, who says, all summer we have been talking about transfers. When this year is done, who is the one transfer that we reached out to that could have been a difference maker to this Zags team? Yeah, I'm sticking with the same theme of the show, rim protection. I'm going with Jesse Edwards. Jesse Edwards, four-year starter at Syracuse, transferred this offseason to West Virginia. Looked like he might enter the transfer portal after Bob Huggins is firing, but he ultimately ended up staying with the Mountaineers. Uh, Seven-footer, legit rim protector, blocked a bunch of shots in the ACC. Veteran guy would have absolutely loved, 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 loved to have Jesse Edwards in a Gonzaga uniform. Grant Nelson is great. He might be great at Alabama. He might make it look like that's the obvious pick here. There are plenty of other guys Gonzaga was interested in. Steven Ashworth is probably going to shoot 45% from three at Creighton. He's going to look awesome. But Jesse Edwards, to me, is the guy that I really wish Gonzaga had been able to land because I think they really could use somebody who could block shots the way he can, and I think it's going to show this season that they don't have that. We're going to close out the show today answering more questions, including about Gonzaga's rumors to the ACC, their record this year, and the Zags playing at the Chase Center in San Francisco. Before we get to that, though, let's talk about today's sponsor, FanDuel. Step into the action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That is $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. You can bet on all sorts of stuff like spreads, player props, over, under, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel an official partner of the NFL. All right, folks, closing out the show today with more listener-submitted questions on Mailbag. Reminder, you can reach out on Twitter, you can reach out via email, or you can join our Discord channel with the link in the show notes below to ask your questions that way. This next question here comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says... Sports Illustrated just published an article going over plans for Clemson departing the ACC, which includes the ACC adding Gonzaga, among a few other options. It is a very curious claim, but could Gonzaga and the ACC be a realistic option? So I'm not going to get into all of the details about the ACC and their grant of rights deal and various other things, but right now it's pretty difficult to leave the ACC. Clemson wants to, Florida State wants to, the ACC protected themselves a little bit by adding Stanford, Cal, and SMU. But right now I don't I don't necessarily foresee Clemson and Florida State bouncing. They're going to have to go through some legal battles. Again, there's some complications there that if you want to read up on a ton of very, very good reporters have done some very, very good reporting on that topic. I am not one of them, so I will leave it up to them. But would would the ACC consider Gonzaga as an addition if they needed to, to boost their numbers? I think it's possible, be kind of because I think anything is possible at this point. I wouldn't have thought Stanford, Cal, or SMU would be in the ACC, but guess what they are? So does Gonzaga seem that much crazier than them? Not really. Obviously, there's a huge difference. They don't have a football team. That's the biggest difference for them with the Big 12, with the Pac-12 for a long time, with you know any other conference outside of the Big East. And even then, the, the Big East is a primary competitor or a primary option because they don't have football. Football plays a huge role in every single uh, conference realignment conversation involving Gonzaga. But with some schools located on the West Coast now in Stanford and Cal, with a very, very dominant basketball conference, I mean, the reputation is staked on basketball in the ACC, with potential football powerhouses like Clemson and Florida State trying to leave, it makes sense. It makes sense for the ACC to maybe pivot towards trying to boost their basketball. It's kind of a desperation move. 
As much as I don't like to view Gonzaga as a desperation move for Power 5 conferences, it kind of is. But right now, it looks like the Power 5, they're getting close to trying to, to break off here and to separate from the NCAA. There's a real fear that the NCAA tournament could have some serious interference from Power 5 conferences, from leadership at that level. That could really negatively impact Gonzaga. And if they feel that, if they believe that is true, they have more information than I do, than you and I do for sure, then they might make a move here if they need to. And if the ACC comes calling, I, I could see them picking up the phone. And yeah, the travel sucks and it's a nightmare and it's, it's bad for Gonzaga's other sports. And all of that is true, legitimately true. But at the same time, you're telling me Gonzaga's in the same conference with Duke and North Carolina and Virginia and Syracuse and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, go down the line, Miami, NC State, Louisville, everybody, it would be absolutely incredible. Unbelievably fun. Nightmarish travel, another part of college basketball or college conference realignment that just makes you shrug and shake your head and say, what the heck are we doing? But I can't say I wouldn't hate Gonzaga getting a chance to play those teams uh, every year in the regular season. Next question here comes from Zag Nutty on Discord, who says, any fun predictions on Gonzaga's win-loss record for the season? Could we be in for an undefeated run through the WCC? I think this is going to be about as hard as it's ever been for Gonzaga to run through the WCC undefeated. St. Mary's is extremely good. They lose Logan Johnson and Kyle Bowen, but they're a really good team. They have Alex Dukas back. They, of course, have Aiden Mahaney and Mitchell Saxon back. They have Augustus Marcelona stepping into a role. Like, this is a really good team. I don't think Gonzaga is going to beat them three times this year. In terms of overall record, I think we're looking at a Gonzaga team that's going to be a five, four to six loss team. Let's say that. You got Purdue, USC, Kentucky, San Diego State, UConn. Gonzaga's not winning. No, they're not going 5-0. and oh. Maybe 4-1 and one in an absolute best case scenario. To me, I think they're probably 3-2 and two in that group. Then you also have, you know, depending on if they lose to Purdue, they play, or whether they win or lose to Purdue, they play either Tennessee or Syracuse. Both of those are tough games. Syracuse a little less so than Tennessee, but both very tough games as well. They'll have a third game in that group as well, likely against somebody like Marquette or UCLA. Like It's going to be tough in that stretch right there. I think St. Mary's is good for a loss. I don't think Gonzaga beats everybody else every single time in the WCC. So to me, I think 27-5 and five feels decent. It wouldn't stun me if they went 25 and seven. And I know that's kind of scary. I know that seven losses is a lot for Gonzaga. But again, the last time they lost more than seven games was 2016 and they had an 11 seed. If Gonzaga this year loses seven or eight games, they're not going to be an 11 seed. They're not going to be an 11 seed. There's just no way. Their, their non-conference schedule is so much improved from what it was in 2015, 16. And the WCC slate is so much better. They're not going to be an 11 seed. They might be a four seed which is lower than we're used to seeing them. Heck, they might be a five or a six seed even. It's possible that that would happen this year if they went 25 and seven or, or 24 and eight or whatever. But to me, I think we're probably looking at a four, five, six loss team. I think we're probably looking at a team that's not quite a one seed. Maybe they're a three or a four seed, uh, but I think they're going to be really battle tested. They're going to have come out of this conference with tough games against St. Mary's. They're going to have played Kentucky in February. I think they're going to be battle tested. And I think they're going to be ready. And I think a, a four-seeded Gonzaga team that lost more games than usual is not any less scary than some of those one seeds they've had in the past. Next question here comes from Heartland Zag on Discord, who says, who is the best slash slash flashiest dunker in Gonzaga history? Flashiest dunker, you got to go Ira Brown. Ira Brown was only at Gonzaga for two years, 2007 to 2009. He didn't play much. 
Free Ira Brown is a podcast for a reason. It is a phrase for a reason because that guy did not get on the floor as much as many people felt he should have. But man, he was a high flying machine. Uh, Jalen Suggs obviously had some flash as well. Can't have this conversation without tossing it out there. I'm also going to give some love to my guy, Guy Landry Eddy at Gonzaga from 2011 to 2013. He was on that first team for Gonzaga that ever got ranked number one, the 12-13 team. Started the year out as a starter and ended up getting replaced in the starting lineup by Mike Hart, uh, who just kind of fit better from a, a defensive perspective and kind of some of the intangibles that Hart brought. But Guy was a, a very flashy dunker. He didn't do a ton else, but that was something he was really good at on that team. Final question, or no, it's not final question. Next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, while it is great to see Gonzaga play in bigger venues, I am not so sure that it is going to work out too well for San Francisco. The games at San Francisco are usually really tough games, but with the way Gonzaga fans uh, with the way Gonzaga fans travel, that means playing in the Chase Center will result in much more Gonzaga-friendly crowd than what we would have seen by playing on the hilltop in San Francisco. Now, again, this is kind of another question where I think that we're, uh, we're, we're focusing on the wrong things. USF did not play this game with the hope that there would be uh, 20,000 green and yellow fans in the stands. They, they understand that Gonzaga fans are going to travel, they're going to travel a lot, and that they're going to pack that arena. They, there's no way that Chris Gerlifson and the, uh, the athletic staff at USF don't know that. But they're playing this game for a lot of other reasons. One, what an incredible opportunity for the student-athletes at San Francisco and, to an extent, the student-athletes at Gonzaga to get an opportunity to play at an NBA arena to play where Steph Curry plays. Like that's an incredible opportunity for players at USF. Like that's the dream. No disrespect to War Memorial. It's a solid gym. You get to play in the same city and an arena like that, your family gets to go, you know, your friends get to go watch you play. Like that's, that's the opportunity. Beyond that, USF's going to make a whole bunch of money off Gonzaga fans. They're going to make a bunch of money off of them. And I don't like that money matters that much, but it does. It does. They're going to make a ton of money. Get a bunch of money, get your players' exposure to a, a cool arena, feel more legitimate getting to play in an NBA arena. Uh, more fans are going to tune into the game because of that. You're going to be on ESPN. It's great exposure for San Francisco. Uh, it's good for Gonzaga. It's good for the student athletes. It's good for the fans. And look, even if it's 70-30, even if it's 85-15, USF is going to have more fans in that arena than they get at War Memorial. There's going to be more San Francisco fans at Chase Center than there are at War Memorial. So more fans get to watch the game. Players get to play in a fun environment, in a fun arena. Uh, it, it gives the team more exposure and it gives them more money. It's a win, 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 win. Is it more likely to lead to a loss? Maybe, probably, I don't know. But I don't think that, that's, that's, that we're focusing on the right thing when we talk about it that way. Final question of the show. This comes from Dan Garrity at Prof Dan G on Twitter, who says, how much time does it take to put together an episode? This is a fun question, Dan. Thank you so much for asking it. It depends. It depends on the topic at hand. I think mailbags are a little bit easier uh, because you know listeners do a lot of the work for me. I just have to find answers to those questions. Uh, the more research shows can take a long time. Game previews take a while because I'm taking notes on how their last games have gone, the new additions to the team, et cetera. Uh, learning about new transfers. You know, when Gonzaga lands a new player, those take a little bit of time, especially if I haven't already done a show on said player. Historical research, the episode a couple weeks ago with the 15 greatest shots in Gonzaga basketball history, That those took two to three hours hours of prep game time you know pre game previews take a couple hours typically if it's the second time we're previewing lmu that season it's a little bit easier but for the most part those take a while most shows probably take about 45 to 60 minutes of prep uh, that includes organizing the notes setting up the ad reads creating the youtube graphic all that good stuff then you got about 30 minutes to record the show of course 
another 30 minutes to edit the show, upload it on YouTube, upload it on all the podcast platforms. Again, create the graphics for that. Uh, 10 or so minutes to publish everything on social media. So it's each show is probably about 90-ish minutes of time commitment. Some of them are closer to to three hours. Some of them are more like an hour and a half, two hours, somewhere in there is kind of the range. Also, shout out to Professor Dan. I toured Gonzaga as a sophomore in high school and met with Dan uh, and talked to him for, for a very long time about joining the school. It's part of the reason I went to Gonzaga in the first place. Transferred out of, the, out of the journalism program after one semester, but I don't know if I would have ended up at Gonzaga without that conversation with Professor Dan. So very happy to, to see you ask a question on the show. Hope that uh, hope this was an enjoyable answer for you. That's going to do us for, for us today here on Locked on Zags. Thank you so much for making the show your first listen or your first watch of the day. And shout out to those everyday listeners. We're back every single day this week. We got some conference preview stuff to do. We got more talk about craziness leading up to the event, some Gonzaga lineup stuff, some scheduling stuff, everything you guys want to hear about this basketball program. We're going to be talking about it for the month of October. So make sure you make us your first listen of the day. Thanks again to all of you for listening. And until next time, as always. Go Zags.